But how are you guys? How was your vacation? It was good. It, <laughs> it was a little too much hiking for me. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen cinema and adult rom-coms. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, newly returned to Young Adult Services Librarian, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Maren Hagman, Adult Services Librarian and rom-com enthusiast. Uh, And we are here to talk about the 2022 uh, writing, film feature writing debut uh, by Billy Eichner, Bros. Um, Like I said, Bros came out in 2022. It was written by Billy Eichner and Nicholas Stoller. It is directed by Nicholas Stoller. It stars Billy Eichner as Bobby, Luke McFarlane as Aaron, Guy Branham as Henry, Miss Lawrence as Wanda, T.S. Madison as Angela, Dot Marie Jones as Cherry, Jim Rash as Robert, um, and a bunch of other people. Uh, mostly I went through all of those people because this was a buffet of, oh, look, mm. it's that guy for me. <laughs> um, but Bros is the story of Bobby, who is a 40, in his 40s-year-old uh, semi-famous podcaster. Uh, who is also has just secured um got hired secured the position of he's opening a museum he's opening a museum to lgbtq history uh in is it new york City? yeah i think it's i think it all takes place in new york uh but most of this movie is about bobby living in new york city and uh trying to find connection and meeting, um, I'm afraid to go back to the IMDb page because it might cut me off of this call again. Um, uh, what is Aaron. Luke, Luke McFarland's character? Aaron. Uh, he meets Aaron at a club, and they are two uh, gay men who have no interest in a relationship who end up developing feelings for each other uh, and both have to kind of grapple with what it might mean to update or evolve their expectations for romance and what their ideal partner looks like to them. Um, I This was my first time watching this movie. Same. Uh, but, Marn, you had seen it before, correct? No, no, this was my first time seeing it. Oh. Okay, I'm not sure why I thought it was a repeat watch for you, but um, overall thoughts, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I think so. And this might be uh, so I feel like the narrative of this movie kind of in the culture was uh, that it was a failure um, because it did not do so well at the box office. um, And there were all sorts of memes about how uh, Megan was the movie of the movie of choice for LGBT folks between these two since they opened on the same weekend, I believe. Um, so I, it might've been that I was coming in with low expectations. Um, but I, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought I would. I, I think it was very witty. Um, there were a lot of really good, um, one-liners, um, for being produced by, uh, Judd Apatow. I think there was a, a refreshing lack of, uh, 
cringe gags. Um, I think there was a lot of just, um, you know, humor deriving naturally from situations. And I, I did not get the, oh, God, uh, I must hide under a blanket feeling that I sometimes get uh, in Judd Apatow films. Um, so I really uh, enjoyed that. And I, I have, since he walked onto the screen in Parks and Recreation, and uh, I have uh, long been a fan of Billy Eichner um, and have pretty regularly watched Billy on the Street. Um, and only YouTube and I know how many times I have watched the best of Craig Middlebrooks uh <laughs> 10 minute long clip uh but it's a lot (laughs) um so i i do really enjoy billy eichner's brand of humor um and i think it comes through well here uh i think he and luke mcfarlane um have really good chemistry um i think what this movie i think the one thing that could improve this movie is its pacing i i think it gets bogged down um in its third act i i think that there are um uh, I think things could move a little more rapidly um, towards the end. I think it, it kind of stumbles a little there. Um, but other than that, I, I really enjoyed it. Martha, what did you think? Yeah, I had a really good time. Um, I I really appreciate the fact that this is a Judd, that this movie was produced by Judd Apatow. Um you know, he has such a reputation for making a very particular kind of movie. And I thought this was a really refreshing change of pace, not because it's super different from the stuff that he has made before. Um, I think it tonally very much fits within his, within his oeuvre. Um, but it also features two gay men. And I am very, very pro, like, just making gay couples more of a part of the cultural landscape for rom-coms and just, you know, all other kinds of cinema. Um, I totally agree with you about pacing. Um, I, I feel like part of the problem that I had with the movie is that it can't really decide how self-aware it wants to be. Um, like there are, there are moments in this movie that I found very deeply affecting. Um, Billy Eichner gives a monologue about how, like, how his entire life he's been told that he's too much or that he needs to tone it down, um, and how that kind of affected him growing up. And you can tell that, that, or at least it was pretty apparent to me, that I think that piece of writing is coming from a very personal place for Billy Eichner, um, I, I had a bit of a tr- I had a bit of trouble squaring the tone of the personal bits with the parts that are very like almost too self-deprecating. The parts that are kind of like, oh look how dumb we're being, except not in like a in a very self-deprecating way. It's like the movie can't decide how much it likes itself weirdly um but i liked it very much and i wanted it to believe in itself um also guy branham is a comedian that i very much enjoy and i could have used a lot more of his character uh i thought he was very very funny and every time he was on screen i enjoyed it and i wanted more of that oh he was fantastic 
Uh, I also um, wanted there... more Deborah Messing because that was definitely oh, a highlight of the movie for me. I I apologize. I apologize to our <laughs> listeners for not saying up at the top that Deborah Messing plays herself. <laughs> Uh, in a very, very fun cameo. Oh my god. Um, so good. Yes. I enjoyed that a lot. I thought that was hilarious. Um, I think the highs of this movie are really high for me. Um, I thought that some of it... Um, yeah, the ending feels a little rushed. Uh, I could have used maybe a little bit more in the second act to kind of bolster the third act. Um, but I did find, and I think that this is total credit to Luke McFarlane and Billy Eichner and how great their chemistry is, but I found the development of that relationship to be very grounded and believable. That was a that was a ride and an evolution that I very much enjoyed being on. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate that this, this movie did not fall victim to, um, I think, the problem that a lot of the rom-coms we have watched fall victim to, which is that it just doesn't give its leads enough time um, just to be in a room together. And I, I think that, you know, in terms of things I would cut um, in the end, I, I do think that um, it, it did spend as much time as it needed to with the two of them. There were maybe just some of the, and I don't know if it's the, scenes with Aaron's family or or what exactly but um I I think it did spend the right amount of time just having the two of them together talking um which I think not enough rom-coms do yeah I feel like part of that is because the movie maybe felt like it had a lot of explaining to do which I don't I don't think is a bad thing um, but I think the movie does do some work at showing you how the relationship, like how this relationship dynamic is kind of different from what you might normally expect in a rom-com and why that's okay. Um, which I appreciated. I think we talked a little bit about this when we discussed Happiest Season about how it kind of is annoying when an LGBTQ romance feels like it has to walk the same steps as like a heteronormative one. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to qualify this by saying that I am a cis straight white woman. So like, you know, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but I also understand that gay men participate in a different romance culture than I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I enjoyed that this movie does not feel the need to press either um, Bobby or Aaron into uh that sort of mold for me a straight viewer well and i th i think you know it it does a really good job of of talking about this challenge of you know there are lots of conversations about you know aaron quote-unquote acting too straight and bobby you know there's a lot of they they reconcile a lot you know what it it means to be queer um and i think that you know, like you said, I think that really, it, it makes it feel um, authentic, you know, and it, it makes it feel like you couldn't just copy paste um, the characters, you know, you couldn't just change a name and, and have it be a, a straight romance. 
um, which I think is important. And I really enjoyed all the Garth Brooks references, um, especially considering, like, good for Garth Brooks. He's out there. Uh, um, I, I just learned this about Garth Brooks. Apparently with all the backlash uh, Bud Light is facing um, for uh, using a LGBT uh, influencer in one of their ads, uh, Garth Brooks has, like, made a point to, like, keep selling it at his concerts and kind of re- rejecting the, the bigotry of this uh, Bud Light boycott. So things I did not know about Garth Brooks until recently for 500 Alex. Um, and, and that I appreciate about Garth Brooks. Exactly. Uh, so uh, that was kind of fun. You know, yeah, and it, it, it adds, because I think, too, you know, it's great that, like, there are, you know, one thing about having a movie where so many of the characters are queers you get to see like that diversity um you know that there are many ways to be queer just like you know straight people have gotten to see all the time so um yeah i i think that that um really you know is a is a testament to the good Good writing on on the part of Billy Eichner's, um, and I did you know I do also appreciate you know the the director Nicholas Stoller, um, he directed the Neighbors series, um, and he directed he did one other really big, I mean he directed the Five Year Engagement and Forgetting Sarah Marshall, both of which are oh no kidding know, straight um straight rom coms so you know this is this film is in the hands of a director who um, knows what they're doing in terms of, uh, you know, comedic timing and editing. Cause I, I do think that, you know, as much as comedy is about writing, it's also about editing. Um, oh, for sure. And I think that um, I really appreciate that he is a director and I'm thinking here specifically about, have you ever seen neighbors Two: sorority rising? I have not. The Neighbors movies have been on my to-watch list for quite some time, um, but I have not gotten into them yet. Oh, yeah. Very, well worth your time. Well worth your time. Um, and I, I think especially, I really enjoy Neighbors too because one thing it does is it really lets this group of girls, because the whole premise, um, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the premise of the first movie, which is that a sorority buys a house next door to a couple with a young baby. Um, the second film, the setup, or sorry, a fraternity, the first film, it's a fraternity. The second film, a sorority has taken over this house. Um, and, uh, the couple next door are actually in escrow. They're selling the house. So they just need to hold on for like 30 days. Um, and what I really appreciate the movie because it's not afraid to let these women be, uh, raunchy and gross and, um, I I think it's a really, in its own kind of quiet way, uh, well, I guess not so quiet, but in its own, you know, in the mold <laughs> of a, in the mold of a traditional comedy, I, I think there's something radical about it in that, um, you know, it centers this group of women, um, and it lets them, you know, there's not too much different between the shenanigans, the boys pull in the first movie. Um, and the shenanigans that, uh, the women pull, um, 
in the second. And I, I think that's a really great. So this is all, sorry, this is all. My point here is that I think, you know, Nicholas Stoller is a, a filmmaker who's not afraid to, in the vein of a traditional, you know, to use a traditional comedy um, to do something that's a little groundbreaking in its own way. Yeah, for sure. And I think I, I think it says a lot about our the state of our pop culture in that this movie is almost groundbreaking for how not groundbreaking it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's exactly it's exactly what you're saying about um the sorority girls. Like a raunchy sexy comedy featuring college students is not an original idea but letting the students be women is and like an offbeat kind of left of center rom-com is not in and in and of itself a unique idea but having the focus be two gay men and having the the conversation about like the relationship uh or like the relationship rituals not be the kind of heteronormative cookie cutter that you and I are used to. And I don't say cookie cutter derogatorily. You and I have talked about enough of these movies that we both know that we love the formula when it, when it works really well, the formula is great. Um, But I love seeing a kind of different formula hung on a skeleton of things that we still sort of recognize and having it feature people and beats that are, not normally centered in this way. Did that make sense? Yeah. I feel like it made sense. Yeah, and I mean, I think what you're <laughs> saying is that, you know, we're taking some of the tropes of these genres and, and we're making space for folks that normally don't get to participate or get to take center stage in these genres. And I think that... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think that in some ways for all of uh the ways in which uh comedy frequently gets cast as like edgy or provocative i th- i think that very frequently comedies and especially romantic comedies uh lean uh pretty conservative in some ways and um i think that some of that is the tension of there is a formula and there are beats that your viewers expect you to hit. And, um, you know, how we, you know, remix those tropes or, or inject something fresh into it to, to keep people engaged is always um, versus, like, having those uh, beats that, you know, you make the pact with your viewer that you're going to hit. Like, in in some ways in there, there is this kind of conservative foundation to a comedy and to especially a a romantic comedy. And so, you know, I I do think that there is something really important about going into that space and saying, hey, we're going to use this tool, we're going to use this formula, we're going to use this foundation, but we are going to use it um in a way that includes more people um yeah i what i what i always think of and what i think is a really good um illustration of that is the happily ever after because i think that that is that is a pretty firm cornerstone of the rom-com genre 
but and and is one that this movie has but what i like about it is that it doesn't necessarily look the way that it would if this movie was about two straight people like i i truly loved the moment at the end when billy eichner like gets down on one knee and you as the audience are like what is happening because a proposal would not have felt right for this movie or for where the two of them were at in their relationship um but he uses that kind of expectation to build the joke of will you date me for three months and then reevaluate our relationship (laughs) i laughed for 10 minutes (laughs) i thought it was a great i thought it was a great way to take this rom-com trope expectation of the happily ever after and twist it just slightly so that it still feels true to the characters and true to the movie and is still giving them a happily ever after. It's just not a wedding because it doesn't need to be at this point. And it doesn't need to be to make this movie feel like it ended in a satisfying place. Right. No. Yeah. And I I think it's, it's good to, yeah, it it both uses those trappings, but then adapts them, um, which I think. And it cool. felt it it felt like it was maybe making a little bit of fun of me as a viewer, but that but I was okay with it because it didn't <laughs> feel mean. <laughs> it didn't feel mean and spirited. It was just like, oh oh, you thought you thought, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, you're right, Billy Eichner. I did think. <laughs> Yeah, and it it does make me think of, there was, and this was a while ago, this was probably, I mean, this might have been as far back as, like, January or this fall, like, there was was a while ago on uh, Twitter, there was a bit of a a dust-up, as there usually is on Twitter, um, about, you know, what qualifies as a happily ever after, and... um, You know, it was interesting, because folks had, and, and the book in question... Um, it was, uh, it was a widower, uh, reflecting on his relationship with his wife after she had passed. Um, so really the tension was, um, and, and there was a a plethora of points of view, um, about whether that counted as an HEA, um, and, um, you know, where that, where that line is. And I think one really interesting thing, and, and there were a lot, yeah, like I said, there were lots of different points of view. Um, but one interesting thing that I did come out of that conversation is this idea that like that, uh, convention, you know, has changed. Like it, it doesn't need to be, uh, uh, a man and a woman, uh, marrying and having a kid anymore. You know, that like, those can grow and evolve while still staying true to the principle of like, we know these people are going to have a a long and happy, fulfilling relationship. Um, so that I, I did think about that conversation when I was watching that last scene. Cause I think that, you know, this is one of those. Yeah. Seeing, seeing that evolve. And Um, I, I want to be clear. I do. I love, a happily ever after that ends in marriage and children. Like there is absolutely space in my worldview for that. I just also like that we're making room for more. We we are allowing other kinds of endings to also be happy because happily ever after means different things to different people. Like my husband and I don't have children. We probably won't have children. And that doesn't mean that we haven't 
or won't get our happily ever after. It just means it looks slightly different for us. Um, yeah, I, I like that we can we can retain the trope of the heavily ever happily not heavily happily <laughs> ever after, and just reflect that happily can can look different for different people. Exactly. Where do you just out of curiosity? Where do you fall on that particular story? Oh, I did not think that was an action. Uh, happily ever after i i think seeing the death on page nope that's a that's a no-go for me um and i i can see different points of view on it but i was like well that's what they do in the notebook and pretty sure we don't uh qualify uh nicholas sparks as a romance writer <laughs> sounds like a great book i would have you know i would read it but i would want to be warned that we're gonna see the Whoa. death on page so that actually and and maybe this is just me demonstrating my ignorance of the genre. Nicholas Sparks is not considered to be a romance writer? Absolutely not. That's wild to me. Um Yeah, anytime every... I, Yeah, any library I ever go to where they classify Nicholas Sparks in a romance, I know that they have librarians who are not familiar with the genre. Or Daniel Steele. Those are my two easy giveaways. Well, Daniel Steele, I think Daniel Steele writes books that are romances, but she also writes a lot of different kinds of books. She, I would say at one point, she wrote some romances. Um, I think uh, she she has long since left the genre. Um, and I think even she has said that. Um, so, um, yeah, so maybe at one point it made sense to put her in there, but it no longer does. Well, I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I think she, I, I think that when a writer, when an author writes a book that is a genre, it makes sense to put the book in that genre, regardless of where the bulk of their materials are. So, like, the last library I worked at had Daniel Steele in, like, three different sections. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I'm just, I'm truly, I'm. I'm truly, I, hand, <laughs> hand to, or gun to my head, I would have said that Nicholas Sparks is a romance writer. You know, it's funny. I, I, would, not, um, I would not have said he was a romantic comedy writer. That is deranged. But romance, for, for sure. Uh, yeah, I I could get that. I, I have long joked with my coworkers that that can be my neck tattoo. <laughs> Nicholas Sparks doesn't write romance. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no, the majority of his books uh, do not have an HEA. The more you know, I guess. Yeah. This is why this is why I should never be buying books for adult collection. <laughs> <laughs> Only YA. <laughs> um Yeah. So yeah, and I I mean that line always changes, but I think for me, us seeing one of the characters die um is always always gonna be a hard line. Um along with some people on this thread were trying to suggest, well, what if they break up, but it's they're both happy in their own places and blah blah blah. And I'm like, nope, that is for another genre. Well, you, you, yep, you and I have had that discussion. Um, but no, I guess 
I I think it's interesting that somebody like reflecting on like the great love of their life as a as an older person crosses genre lines like that. That's just very fascinating to me. Well, and I I certainly, you know, there were a variety of opinions. That was just mine. Um some people were like, "Oh no, of course that would be included in romance." That, that I mean, that is a gray area. Like I could see multiple points of view on that. My personal opinion doesn't belong in romance, but um i i would respect someone's rationale for saying it does um that one's a little more of a gray area a little more personal discretion but um well and again this is where this is where my biases in buying mostly ya for most of my library career are showing because there you just that is not the kind of story that you get like if a, if a book is about an old an older an elderly person right. reflecting on the love of their life even if they're even if the story they're telling happened when they were teens, that's not a book I would buy for YA. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Usually then that older person is like using that as a lesson for a current teen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, just a different different space. Um but yeah, I mean I think um I mean I think it's always good to to say yeah what does an HEA mean what does it look like um and I think that and I mean I know we definitely disagree on this in some ways of um you know I think sometimes people in trying to play with the tropes of the genre um you know either you know, have tried unsuccessfully to say it looks different. Um, see my best friend's wedding or uh, 500 Days of Summer, um, movies which I hate with a passion. Um, and I, but I, I, you know, then I think there are movies like this where it says, yep, like the HEA looks different in the, in that relationship or for this relationship. Um, and it, and it plays with it that way. Um, and I think that, that keeps the genre fresh, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't, I feel like, uh, break its contract with me as a viewer, um, about what I am going to experience. Yeah. Like they still, there is not really a moment in this movie where you don't think that Bobby and Aaron are going to end up together. I think think like oh yeah they have their conflict um i thought that the sequence with aaron's parents was really um i really enjoyed it um the you know the the conflict there is that aaron brings bobby to meet his parents and is like can you be less like can you tone it down (laughs) um and Bobby's like, people have been telling my, me my whole life to tone it down. Like, no, I, w- I won't do that. Like, I, I really, I thought that that conflict felt very real. And it also felt like something that when they resolved it, it didn't feel like either of them were giving anything up or that the movie was cutting corners to resolve that tension and get the two of them together. Um, I thought that felt very organic. Yeah. And I uh, also, I also me. liked that. Um... Aaron's parents were really nice and like there wasn't a, a cliche about um you know uh evil uh not understanding parents, you know. I was like, oh, 
appreciate that they yeah. and you know like his mom listened to bobby and was like okay like let's um i really appreciated that because i think the easier track would have been uh you know making the making the tension be between bobby and aaron's parents and having aaron caught in the middle um rather than just between aaron and bobby um and uh, I think that was a smart writing choice to to not have it be, um, you know, Bobby like burn his bridges there or anything. And and yeah, the movie also does a really good job of not turning anybody into a caricature, which I think is a pitfall that some comedies can kind of fall into. Like everyone in this movie feels like a full person. Uh, Aaron's parents do not become like caricature villains in any way. He's clearly out to them. Um, it just, yeah, even even the the secondary characters. Some of the some of the people that Bobby works with on the board of the museum feel a little mm. not two dimensional, but maybe like could have used some more right time or energy but also they're very like they're not even secondary characters they're sort of tertiary yeah yeah characters they just show up for like three scenes and they're i think that they play on the personalities of the actors who are playing them and i'm i'm kind of fine with that like jim rash's character is basically jim rash and that's fine he's a he's a very funny person to watch yeah um Would you recommend this movie to people? Um, I think, uh, yeah, I would. I I think that, um, like I said, and I don't know if it's just, uh, expectations, um, but I, I think this movie did not get as much love as it, it deserved. Uh, would you? It absolutely, I, I absolutely would, and I agree with you. I, I feel like it was not... Um, you know, for whatever reason. And I think it came out at a weird time. Um, I think it went to streaming pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, I think that it was, I think even before it came out, there was a lot of like, like people were almost poised for it to be a disappointment. Mm -hmm. And that bums me out. Um, I hope that Billy Eichner gets to write more movies. Um, yeah, I, I had a good time. Yeah, I hope this is one, and my guess is that it will be. I do think this is going to get kind of a cult following. Um, I will tell you, I'm a little concerned that people are going to use this movie as an excuse to push more adult dramas or rom-coms straight to streaming rather than letting them have mm. a theatrical release. Um. Because, yeah, it just, it feels like fewer and fewer movies that are not big budget Hollywood blockbusters are making it into the theater. And I love a theatrical experience. Yeah. Um, I did not, I did not get out to see this one in the theaters because, you know, the health climate over the last few years has been so iffy. Um, But yeah, I think that movies like this kind of deserve comedies are so much fun in the theater like getting getting to see this with a group of people that were all having a good time i think would have been super fun and i'm sad that i didn't get that same same 
Uh, what would you recommend to people after they have finished watching and hopefully enjoying Bros? Well, uh, I am very afraid I have recommended this book before. Even I, I would say there's probably like a 90% chance I have recommended. I have recommended this book before on the podcast. But um, one book that this movie reminded me of um, that I have really enjoyed um, is called Him um, by Serena Bowen and L. Kennedy. Um, and it's about um, two... Uh, hockey players uh, who are now they uh, were best friends attended hockey camp together growing up um, and one of them cut off the other without explanation um, and now four years later uh, they are now roommates uh, coaching at the hockey camp they used to attend um, and so it's I, I appreciate what it made me think of so it is a second chance romance which obviously this movie is not but uh, there is a lot of, um, you know, conversations about what it means to be queer and, um, you know, what queer relationships look like in this book. So that's what kind of, jo you know, made me think of it. Um, and there is also some good comedy in it. Um, so, yeah, him by uh, Serena Bowen and L. Kennedy. Um, L. Kennedy, I think, is become like a, t a book talk sensation. Um, so hopefully folks will come around to finding, uh, it's a duology. Um, there's a sequel to it. Um, although it, the first one does stand on its own. Um, so I hope folks come around and um, discover this little duology because it's um, a lot of fun. Uh, Martha, what would you recommend? I am going to recommend the book that has a movie adaptation coming out that we will undoubtedly talk oh, about I think on I this have a good podcast. Guess. Yeah. I am recommending Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, which is coming out on Amazon Prime as a movie on August 11th. So put that in your calendars. Uh, this is about the son of the American president who starts an illicit relationship with the crown prince of Britain. It is so cute and so fun. I think I read it in maybe 48 hours. It is also one of the best texting depictions between two like new adults. They're both like 18 or 1920-ish. Um, and McQuiston uses texting between the two of them in a very realistic and affecting way. Um, so read the book before you watch the movie because like i said there is zero chance we are not going to talk about that movie <laughs> on this podcast so get a head start and check out the book <laughs> i would just like for the record i had two guesses and that was one of them so just you know oh what was your other guess uh aristotle and dante discover the universe <gasps> Oh, Marin, I did not know they were making that into a movie until I saw the trailer three days ago, and I had a heart attack. <laughs> we are also absolutely going to be talking about that movie. I just don't know when it's coming out or if it's going to be a theatrical release right. or streaming. Um, I know that Red, White, and Royal Blue is going to be on streaming. So, oh boy. Oh boy, I watched that and I cried. I love oh, that book so much. Oh, I <laughs> saw that pop on my YouTube and I was like, oh, I hope Martha's seeing this. Um, so good. Oh, yes. I'm glad that oh, you, yes. I'm glad you did. I meant to I meant to tell you. So 
Uh, thank you for thinking of me. I'm glad my brand is strong. (laughs) (laughs) So, Marin, where can people find you when they have finished listening to our podcast? Um, folks can find me on Twitter, um, at a underscore star underscore danced, um, where, let's be honest, I mostly tweet about romance novels these days. Um, so if that interests you at all, feel free to give me a follow. Martha, where can folks find you? They can find me on most of the places at Magical Martha. Um, I have just started posting TikToks that are exclusively 30-second clips of my guinea pigs eating stuff. So if you think that that sounds cute, it is. Um, But you can find me on TikTok at The Libratrix, T-H-E-L-I-B-R-A-T-R-I-X. I I believe Magical Martha was taken, which, rude. Um, You can follow the show on all the places on the sister feed that we share with uh, my other show, Did You Do Your Homework, at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, I host Did You Do Your Homework on alternating release dates on the same feed with Marin's husband, Pete. Our next episode is going to be about summer camp movies. I'm very excited about that. Uh, and our next movie is another one I'm very excited about. Uh, we are going to be watching and talking about, I'm just going to look up the release date for this one. Oh, I did earlier today. It was, uh, last June. So 2022. Okay. The 2022 Netflix release, Love and Gelato. So looking forward to a little bit of Italian travel porn in our future. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Marin, thank you as always. This has been very, very fun. Uh, And we will talk to you all in a couple weeks. Just remember that we love you. Hooray. Thank you for being more on top of that release date than I was. And I hope my I hope my audio wasn't too. No, once it came back, it came back. So I think it shouldn't be too bad for Pete. Pete is probably going to be annoyed with all the fidgeting I've been doing with his little, uh, uh, he has like a little headphone uh, thingy and I cannot (laughs) stop compulsively uh, doing this button. So I think he's going to be annoyed with me, (laughs) but, um, yeah, Uh, well, (laughs) but too bad. So sad. (laughs) 